it. Welcome to the State of Strata. My name is Thomas Schreiber, and I'm the Director of Marketing here at Strata. Strata is a full-service EMR for physical therapy and occupational therapy practices that helps you achieve a 99.99% reimbursement rate. On today's episode, I'm joined by Paul Singh, the CEO of Strata, and we'll be diving into the biggest accomplishments in May, how Strata does quarterly planning, and Q3 goals for each department. If you'd like to learn more about Strata, head over to stratapt.com or email us at hello at stratapt.com. Now, without further delay, here's today's episode. Give us kind of your, when you look back at May, what were some of those, maybe three of the biggest accomplishments within the month? And then as you're kind of looking at that quarterly planning meeting, some of the big takeaways there. Okay, so May of 2023, I always hesitate to to talk about this in bullet points because there's a million things happening and not everybody gets credit for all that. But if we can put that out there as a disclaimer, I would say, you know, across all fronts, a bunch of stuff's happened. So for example, on the HR and team front, we've had two new folks join the team, one on the engineering side, one is you. I'm pretty sure you started in May. And then on the, you know, the RCM side, you know, those guys are cranking in terms of the claims, the processing, the auto post rates, everything's just sort of cranking there. Numbers are all in the green and millions of dollars getting processed for people or for clients. On the engineering side, it was a lot of building behind the scenes. You know, I think, unfortunately for engineering, you know, it's kind of like an iceberg kind of department where, you know, you see a couple pixels on a screen, but you don't see the rest of the iceberg underneath there. <laughs> so pretty big for them, but a lot of tooling. They did a lot of, they built a lot of tooling on their side to speed up our deployments. I think actually, I don't think they would mind me sharing this. You know, prior to last quarter, we were doing deploys, you know, every couple of days. And, you know, one of the bigger overarching goals for this year is to kind of massively increase the throughput of product improvement and stuff like that. And one of those big building blocks that is unsexy is the tooling that has to be put in place to allow us to deploy on the fly as many times as we want or whatever. So we've gone from, you know, a quarter ago, let's call it a deploy or two a week to now, I think the numbers for May were something like 15 deploys a week. And that's huge. That's huge. I mean, just considering we went from like one or two a week, a quarter ago to 15 a week. And I think we could probably get to a much faster, like I still think there's a lot of meat on that bone. And so anyway, on the engineering side, a lot of tooling there. You know, when we think about growth, we've had some really interesting partnerships that are kind of coming together, which reminds me, I need to probably create a partnership page on the website. But yeah, we've got two really interesting partnerships that, you know, look, they're not in the bag yet, but they're large enough in potential that, you know, I've flown out to meet them or their teams in person and talk in person and all that. So, but yeah, on the growth side, you know, opportunities continue to grow in terms of what we're seeing in our CRM system. New customers got onboarded. And uh, so that's on the growth side. On the product side, we're getting a lot of clarity in terms of, you know, the product has been moving forward. We deployed a bunch of changes or upgrades to like our reporting modules and stuff like that for clients to see. And I think one of the biggest things that happened this last month is really just the leadership team getting together to talk about the third quarter and what our big rocks are going to be, which is kind of crazy to think about when you're at the end of May and 
it's hard to think about the third quarter starting in July, but got a lot of clarity out of that too. So I, I don't know if you want to get there just yet, but the point is though, is that across every team, we're just sort of cranking, cranking, cranking. I'm feeling pretty good. I think everybody's sort of getting used yeah. to the pace. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, I think let's go there for a second, Paul, in terms of, and if you're comfortable maybe sharing some of those high level priorities across each department, maybe giving a little insight into just general focuses and maybe also chiming in on how you guys as a team came to those conclusions. You know, was yeah. there discussion in terms of right priority ranking is always important, but it's difficult because you do have to leave, you know, some items behind for the time being. Yeah. I mean, all right. So I'll preface this by saying you got to keep me honest here because that's a really good question and I'm happy to share, but I'm going to try to condense 40 some hours of time into a hopefully three or four minute comment here. So keep me honest here. But so let's first actually work backwards. Let's talk about what these quarterly planning meetings look like, because that'll give you the answer to how we then got to what the rocks are going to be for Q3. So the way I like to do it, and everybody's got their own style, the way I like to do it is, is I like to get the leadership team to a, some sort of offsite if all the schedules work. In our case, we generally meet at the uh, headquarters that we have down in Osprey, Florida. And I like to start it out with a narrative. So a couple days before everybody gets into town, I actually write a, a Google Doc of my narrative of what I think went well and didn't go well over the last quarter, even though you know, we're in the middle of the quarter, but I kind of write the narrative already because even halfway through the quarter, you know kind of how the quarter's trending. So I sort of talked about like things that have gone well, things have not gone well. And then it ends with a prompt to the rest of the leadership team to come up with their own narrative as well. Now they don't have to write one if they don't want to, but I do ask them to come prepared because then when we get into the planning meeting in big, broad strokes, what I like to do is it's a two-day meeting and the first half of the first day, I like to be, you know, for it to be a retrospective. And I really try to get everybody to talk about what went well, what didn't go well. And I take everything from their narratives and really try to put it into a bunch of bullet points. If I were to show you that Google Doc of notes, it's kind of uncomfortable because, you know, it talks about, I try to really drag out all the good stuff that happened across the team and put it as bullet points. But I also really, really push hard to talk about everything that didn't go well, call it out, name names, do whatever you have to do. And it's not about finger pointing. It's about like this idea that if you don't really truly know what truly went well and didn't go well, then it's really hard to have an intellectually honest conversation for the rest of the meeting. So the first half of the first day is sort of this introspective or retrospective of, of the last quarter or the quarter to date. The second half of the first day then is a combination of two things. The first is usually three or four big topics that I want to talk about and respectfully depending on the outcome of those bigger conversations, it'll affect the conversation the next day in terms of priorities. So I'm kind of alluding to your other question about how do you guys get to where you're getting. So the second half of the first day is generally about that topic of like, hey, here are three or four big projects or big strategic things I think are interesting. Shoot them down, let's talk them out, rip them apart. And if only half of the ideas make it through, that's good. I mean, actually, if only 10% of the ideas make it through, that's okay too, right? The point is, is that the second half of the first day is really about having conversations that are not planning related. They're truly about strategy. And I think as an aside here, one of the things I'll just say is, is that I think people don't quite understand the difference between strategy and tactics or strategy and planning. 
I know that let's make that maybe a different episode, but just a little preview to that. I guess what I'll just say is, is that, you know, you're talking strategy if it makes you uncomfortable and, or if it involves a bet, a literal bet of, Hey, how much money are we talking here? How much time are we talking? What, if anything you're talking about feels like that, you're probably talking strategy, which is different than tactics and planning. Planning, for example, is really once you've decided on the strategy or you've decided on what you're going to do, whether it's explicitly or implicitly, planning is usually a little bit more comfortable because it's, you kind of know what the resources are and you know, kind of, it's really just a prioritization game. And then tactics are sort of the results that come out of those planning meetings. What are the things we're going to do to hit the plan and the plan feeds the strategy? I would argue that like 90% of people talk strategy in their heads, but don't actually talk strategy with their teams because it's truly uncomfortable. So the reason I say that is the second half of the first day is truly about staying out of the tactics and the planning and really talking about strategic stuff. Hey, what do you guys think of this big bet? Here's what I think could happen if we nailed it. Here's what could what it would cost if we screwed it up. And then you you know you start to talk about like the bigger picture. So just to fast forward a little bit, then the second day tends to move a lot faster. So with the first day, I actually set no end time for the day because I don't want to constrain that strategy discussion. If we have to go all the way to dinner, all the way to midnight, that's what we'll do. And um, often that's what actually ends up happening. And then as we go to the second day, then it's much more planning where it's, okay, guys, first off, when we start the second day, I usually say, okay, first off, did anybody, I'm sure we all slept on it. Does anybody have anything from yesterday that we need to go back to talk about? More often than not, everybody's good. I have had situations, for example, with this team where just even last quarter, one or two of the leadership team members came back in the next morning. They were like, ah, you know, I kind of agreed with this one part yesterday, but I want to take it back. So anyway, you start the second day with that topic of like, okay, anything needs to change. Okay, cool. Nail it. Whether it takes two hours, whether it takes two minutes, you got to get that part done. And then the second day tends to move a lot faster. So when you, after that strategy meeting on the first day, it's kind of like, hey, we're talking about a lot of different opportunities here. Ideas are kind of flowing. Are you coming to the end of the first day with and starting the second day with the idea that we're all agreeing on what the strategy is for each department as a company, or is it still up in the air? Yeah, that's a really good question. So, you know, I've never really thought about it explicitly, but if you put me on the spot now, anything that, so what I try to do is, is by the end of the first day at the bottom of that Google Doc, so I've got this running Google Doc for every one of these things, at the bottom of the Google Doc, what happens is, is I'm capturing what everybody thinks a Q3 priority should be. So in other words, we're not yet talking teams or departments or resources yet. You know, we're just really, I'm just like capturing on the fly. Hey, you know, Adam seems to think that this one thing, like it's a one-liner. Uh, it seems to think this is a priority. Paul thinks that's a priority. Kim thinks that's a priority. Now, and that kind of comes out in conversation. So like, let's say you and I are debating something, right? You know, you might say in the middle of the conversation, but look, if we do that, then it's going to cause, I was kind of thinking we would do X. And now you're not trying to change the conversation, but I try to write that down real fast because it's like, oh, it's in his head. Let me just write that down. So by the end of the first day, you end up with almost like a page of bullet notes of what people think their own team should be doing and actually what they think other teams should be doing. Like a common example is, is people will say like, you know, I really think we need to build X because it'll help my team run better. That's a perfectly harmless thing to think, 
but it has profound implications because, you know, your engineering team has finite resources and making that a priority needs to be weighed against whatever else is coming from all the other teams, that sort of thing. So when I end the day one, I usually just say like, okay, now as we get to day two, you guys know the drill. We're going to, you know, give you time to walk back anything you need to walk back. But please like come in ready to talk about what you believe are the top three to five objectives for your individual team. So for day two, the constraint I sort of put in place is, is that if day one was sort of more free ranging, we can talk about each other's teams, good, bad, and indifferent. Day two is really more about, listen, I need you to focus in on your own team now and come to the table with what you believe are the top three to five objectives for your team. And let's just kind of like throw it against the wall and see where it hits. So as we go into day two, we get that first section out of the way. You know, I kind of then have this other Google Doc for Q3 rocks in this case. And I put the team names down. So engineering, product, marketing, you know, RCM, HR, all the different teams, right? And basically go around the room. All right, RCM team, give me your top three objectives. No more than five. And I literally just listed objective one, two, three, four, five. They don't have to have at least three, but they cannot have more than five, right? So, and you just go around the room and you start that day with this like kind of fle half fleshed out Google Doc of like, you know, those. And then I usually kind of throw it up in the air and say, okay, guys, who, where do we want to start? And in this case, like, I think this quarter we might've, if I remember right, we started with the marketing side and it was really like, okay, let's talk about that because that seems like it's independent. It doesn't really require too much interaction with the other teams because I can do some of the engineering. There's a lot, anyway. So the second day I think is actually the more stressful part because you have to kind of go back and forth a bit. And inevitably what happens is, is that by the end of the second day, the objectives are crystal clear for every team and they rarely look like what they look like at the beginning of day two. And that's because like by the end of the day, you've been forced to kind of debate what the trade-offs are and whether those trade-offs actually fit the overall strategy that the leadership team needs to be setting going forward. So that's sort of the gist there. Again, I can go into the details and, and share some of the specifics of what we're working on, but that's sort of how let me kind of like pause there first, because that's how we get there. And I know the other part of the question was, what did we decide? <laughs> so no, that's perfect. Let's jump to what you guys decided in terms of, and maybe if you could give a little insight into what some of those, not friction points were, but what some of those trade-offs looked like, uh, whether it be financially or from a time standpoint that maybe you didn't want to get to, you wanted to get to sooner, but it's something that you're going to need to push off to later quarter or maybe next year. So, hmm. okay. So the only reason I'm hesitating is not because I don't want to tell you, but because like, I think that one of our core values is transparency, but you have to be really careful about that because when you're in the planning meetings, you kind of have to like give everybody, there has to be a certain amount of trust there that you can say things and like kind of spitball without coming back to, you know, beat you up later out of context. All right, so let me kind of tell you where we ended up at a high level, and then we can kind of fill in blanks if you're feeling like we need to dig, and I'll share as much as you want. I genuinely hope this sort of exercise helps people understand how to apply it to their own business too. So let's talk about it in broad strokes. So, and I'm running off a of memory here, so you know anybody on the team listening to this, if I didn't say it here, go back to the doc and look at it. I'm not adjusting the rocks, but just kind of in no order of importance. On the RCM side of things, 
One of the big rocks there is, is rolling out a deeper understanding of what we call EOS. It's a framework that we use called the Entrepreneur's Operating System. So one of the big objectives there on the RCM side is kind of going deeper. We sort of rolled out EOS last quarter. It's working. So now we're going to roll that out to all the sub teams within the RCM team itself. Second big rock is what we call the auto post rate. There's some technology improvements we need to knock out that they need to advocate for from the engineering team to kind of drive, you know, sort of higher productivity, efficiency, and sort of stay ahead of this cat and mouse game that we're always playing with the insurance payers. And then the third big rock there is, is recruiting. We need to stay ahead of sort of the pipeline of new clients coming in. So we need to double down on recruiting and training internally and that sort of stuff. So those are the three big rocks there. On the engineering side, the three big rocks, the first one is product improvements. Um, So I'm going to use product and engineering interchangeably because for us here at Strata, that is a deeply intertwined relationship. So essentially, product and engineering rocks are very intertwined. So when I speak about them, I'm going to just speak about them as almost one unit, even though they're not. But in terms of product and engineering, the one of those three rocks is product improvements. And about half of those improvements are internal facing things that will drive our teams, you know, all the stuff I kind of hinted at earlier. And then about half of the product improvements are external facing. So, you know, top five, top six customer requests that we want to roll out. Second big objective on that team is more tooling. So I kind of imply or uh, hinted at this thing that we've sped up the number of deploys and the frequency at which we can roll out new code. But there's a bunch of tooling that we need to roll out through Q3 to get us to where we, where we really want to be in Q4. And then the third big objective is some security stuff. We're sort of aiming for some much larger security certifications and audits over the next couple quarters. And so the third big objective is security and, and all that. So let me just kind of maybe put a little caveat on that. We are not insecure, but like we have passed all of our audits. We've never had a data breach, all that stuff. But there are some larger certifications we need to hit if we want to attract much larger institutional clients, and um, we need to knock those out. Can you explain what tooling means for all us non-engineers, developers? Yeah, yeah. So think of tooling as like, if you can imagine a construction site, like, so I can't call myself an, I can code, but I wouldn't call myself an engineer. It'd be offensive to our team, I think. But think of it this way, like if you were watching somebody, let's just say you're looking down from your house to the next door neighbor and you see them hiring a crew to build the patio. Well, obviously, when you look down at that crew, the crew has to like lay the bricks and pour the concrete and do all that. That is the work that has to happen. But the tooling and the processes that make that work efficient were set up way before they ever showed up to the job site. So how do you carry like the concrete from the front of the house to the back? Well, okay, we're going to use wheelbarrows. Well, how many? We're going to have four wheelbarrows. Okay, like, how are we going to make sure that the bricks are level? Well, we're going to have this plumb line. We're going to, so there's all these, like, I know that's not like scientific, but in the context of developers, the way to think about it is, is how do you keep five or 10 engineers working in parallel without accidentally sort of clobbering each other? Well, your tooling has to prevent that. So in our case, for example, you know, we have the common stuff that every other engineering department has, which is like, you know, a common source code repository and all that, but then automated testing, automated deployments, automated alerting, notifications, all that. So tooling is all that, what I would call the unsexy stuff that 
allows developers to work asynchronously and spend 90% of their time actually building things that help our customers and our staff, as opposed to trying to like be reactive. So I don't know if that's a good answer, but hopefully that helps. Does that help? That's perfect. Sorry, we can jump back into, yeah, the other three priorities on there. I just wanted to, to get clarification on the, the tooling there. Yeah, so then jumping to marketing, for example, you know, where you and I sit, we're allocating a lot of resources in terms of what our plan is going forward. So objective one is a new marketing website, which by the time this recording goes out, will be live. And that marketing website is also like an iceberg project where it's a migration of all of our current content to a new homegrown system. But it's an iceberg because it's actually laying the groundwork for some of the larger objectives that we have there. So objective one is get that marketing site up and um, lay the groundwork for what we call show, don't tell. So coming later this quarter or in Q3 is uh, we are going to expose all of our aggregate data across all the, the states and the payers and the practices and all that. Now, for clients listening to this, your data is safe. We're not putting it out there. Don't worry. But in this case, it's like we're going to publicize all the aggregate data around what are people getting paid on CPT codes? What are the common practice benchmarks in Tennessee and let people choose whether they want to follow them or not. So anyway, objective number one is like what I would call the infrastructure of what we have coming. So website and getting ready for all this benchmarking stuff. Second big objective is sort of what I call the content blitz. So, you know, we've kind of referred to it as Strata Studios and I'll kind of leave that out there and let people kind of pick that out for what that is over time. But but the second objective is this content blitz. You and I are launching three shows here, actually by the time this comes out. And, um, you know, the idea here is, is that we're going to just start throwing content out there, getting ultra aggressive about it and figure it out on the fly. We're not going to get it right on day one, but we're going to invest tens of thousands of dollars a month in creating and producing and publishing that content. And then objective three off the top of my head uh, is really about then tying it back somehow to this overall structure that we've been kind of alluding to as Strata Studios and maybe figuring out what that looks like by the end of the quarter. and then. You know, jumping to the sales side, their top three objectives are pretty straightforward. You know, first one is, is keeping more of the opportunities running through the pipeline, increasing the numbers, all that. But the second objective is to work with the marketing team to figure out how to nurture warm opportunities or cold opportunities. And then the third objective over there is to formalize some of these referral partnerships that I'm working on. Or, you know, we've got some legal components there that we need to knock out now that we've understood the deal terms. So that's a lot, and I'm probably forgetting 20 or 30% of it. But before I go on, let me just say that when I closed out that meeting with the team, the quarterly planning meeting with the leadership team, I said, if we hit even 80% of the targets across all the teams in Q3, it will be objectively the largest quarter we've ever had, ever, by every metric, by sales, by RCM processing, by engineering deployment. I mean, Almost every metric is going to get blown out of the water in Q3. So let me pause there. I'll fill in the gaps anywhere you want. When you guys have that, those priorities set and you leave Florida and you kind of go back to your, your spots and to your, your teams, what does the check-in process look like as a leadership team on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis to make sure you're, you're aligned? Yeah. So um, every Tuesday we have a, a meeting at 11 a.m. Eastern time. In the agenda that I have for that meeting, there's a five-minute section in there where we talk about every rock across every team. 
and just get a, a pulse check. Like it's not designed to be a two hour long recap of every detail. It's really more like, hey, just if you're feeling on track, give it a green. If you are stuck for any reason, tell me now and we'll make time in this meeting to get it unstuck. So yeah, it's a weekly touch point, And this is how I like to see it across all the teams is because these rocks actually roll across all teams as well. And in those meetings, are those hour long meetings or those 45 minutes? Is it is it meant to be if someone if we have two people kind of stuck, we'll hone in on those two things? Good question. So we we actually run on EOS, the Entrepreneur's Operating System, which actually is a pretty you know easy read. If you can buy the book, the EOS, I forget what it's called. It's uh, one of the books is called What the Heck is EOS, and it's it's like a ten dollar book, and it's worth buying. Anyway, the structure is pretty well defined. It's called a level ten meeting. There's a one page you know doc with the agenda. And to answer your question in specific, if any issues come up, so I distribute that notes document for the meeting on Tuesday mornings, about three hours before, ideally about three hours before the meeting. In one of the sections down at the bottom is an issues list. And I tell people like, just write your issues on there. Most times when I get into that meeting, everybody's already outlined their issues, including potential issues that come up with the rocks. But you have to go through the exercise, right? Because maybe they think they're on track, but then we talk about it for five minutes. Hey, how are you doing about this? Like I literally will share my screen since we're remote and walk through the Q3 rocks document that we all agreed on. Okay, where's this? Where's this? Where's this? And all I want to know is green or not green, like conceptually. Green means conceptually we're on track. Not green means we need to talk about it. And then if they don't say anything, if they say something other than green, I will just write that issue, that rock name as an issue list on the issue list. Because when we get to that part of the agenda, then we'll just start hammering through those. But we try to keep the meeting to 90 minutes. And that constraint is good because it forces us to not dance around the topics. It's like, we're just going to get to it. (laughs) Sure. And when you guys are in those meetings, is there any adjustments you've made when you look at the the EOS system? What adjustments have you or, or any customizations you've made to kind of fit Strata that maybe you've done differently at previous companies if you've implemented EOS at, at you know other companies? Yeah, I mean, we are not like if it, for some people listening to this that know EOS, you basically know there's like two kinds of EOS people. There's like strict and then whatever the opposite of strict is. Loose, I guess. I don't know. So the idea here is that we are not a strict EOS organization. So for example, one of the things that strict EOS says is like no computers, you have to use paper. The idea there is no distractions, that sort of thing. Well, our team is like 90% remote. (laughs) So that doesn't work for us. So I would say like we have had to do a bunch of customizations across the way or across the model. But the biggest ones I think are really the no paper rule. We couldn't really do that. And then our scorecards are more spreadsheet based, which which is not kind of how they're supposed to be. Anyway, the, the summary is like we can get into the line by line differences, but I think it all revolves around the no paper rule because like our scorecards are digital. Our one-on-one documentation is digital. It's Google Docs. I mean, Google Docs and Google Spreadsheets replace all paper in the EOS model for us. But other than that, we generally stick with everything else. So 90-minute L10s, 20-minute, you know, one-on-ones across the majority of the team, weekly touch points, you know, for all that. Yeah, I'm probably forgetting something else, but that's the gist. And for any, I guess, any company looking at implementing, whether it's EOS or 
I think something similar to EOS's OKRs, any of those types of systems, what advice would you give for picking it, whether it's EOS or something else? Through your portfolio companies you've seen, through companies you've started, what would you say to someone looking at trying to implement that? That's a good question. The truth is, I don't know. I mean, I think, all right, if you're going to put me on the spot, I guess what I would say is that before you pick a framework, I think it's important to understand what you're optimizing for. In our case, like when you're, I really think that when you're um, starting out or you're like aggressive about your growth goals, that sort of stuff, those are kind of brute force kind of goals. And when you think about those brute force kind of goals, you got to kind of go back and then think about what kind of frameworks will fit with that. So like, for example, one of the things I like, so I'm not as familiar with OKRs, but I conceptually understand what they are. And, and so between EOS and OKRs and a bunch of other models, they conceptually are all the same. They're not better or worse than each other, but it, again, comes down to what you're optimizing for and, and maybe even what you're fearful of. So the thing I fear, and I think that most leaders and career builders or whatever, the thing that most people should fear is time, not money or, or attention or whatever. It ultimately comes down to time. That's the finite resource. And so the thing that I like about EOS in particular is that it's a lightweight structure of no more than a weekly touch point and a lot of clarity and a lot of numbers that allow us to kind of have 52 touch points every year, as opposed to like, in my opinion, OKRs, to me, they're a little looser, which is fine. It, they work for a lot of companies. There's no doubt about it. It just doesn't work for me. So again, not a reflection of good or bad or better or worse. It's really just, if you know what you're going for and you know kind of what you're worried about, then you got to use that to pick which framework you want. For me, EOS is the one that candidly is like the least worst of all of them. <laughs> you know, I. I admit openly, I don't like structure. I don't like like that oversight because I do my best work kind of with autonomy and freedom. But that doesn't work when you, you know, you got to draw a line somewhere, you know, 30 other people's paychecks depend on us performing now. Yeah, so that's the thing I like about EOS though, is it's, you've got weekly touch points without a lot of killer meetings. It's like, I meet with my direct reports one-on-one, -on -one, as you know, once a week. And then I meet with the leadership team once a week in that L10 Generally speaking, the rest of the calendar is wide open for me to focus on the rocks that we've agreed on, you know, so large chunks of time to work with you and, and the rest of the team as needed. And I do think that focus time in terms of the one-on-one -on -one for that set amount is much more helpful, I will say, than, and especially remote companies doing, you know, daily standups. I think if daily standups can get out of control super fast in terms of just wasting time and, you know, kind of BSing, especially on a, a remote level. And they just turn into, if you're not careful, they can turn into super unproductive and just kind of blue sky. Let's talk about anything. Uh, and it ends up wasting people's times. Well, you just nailed it right there. That part where you said, if you're not careful, that's it, right? Like a lot of great frameworks start with good intentions and in a place where they were never designed to be. So the idea of a daily check-in is super great. I mean, generally speaking, it kind of makes sense, right? Like, hey, let's all just check in in the morning, seven minutes, 10 minutes, whatever your framework says. Actually, I think EOS says you're supposed to do a daily check-in, but we don't. But I think the problem is, is that I've just never, and again, this is more of a reflection on me, not a reflection on EOS. I've just never been able to truthfully keep a daily stand-up to really, truly be just a daily stand-up. 
And what I mean by that is, is that like, inevitably what happens is, is that over the course of weeks and months and years of working together, team dynamics evolve and eventually what happens, and, and this is like subtle but insidious, but what eventually happens is, is somebody just makes up something like five seconds before the meeting, like, I gotta say something, so I gotta just say something. And then it just sort of, it gets really slippery from there. So, you know, again, like, but I know other people that have run it really well. I'm just not that guy. So we don't follow EOS daily check-ins, like with the five-minute structure or whatever they have in the book. But what you'll see if in our internal chat messages, if you look across teams, is that every team kind of does it a little different. So, for example, our engineering team is, they heavily live inside of Jira, which is like a ticket tracking platform. And you know, it's pretty well defined in there and they've got a process that works for them where if you have a problem, you can say something in chat and they'll get on a call together, but otherwise they're just going to meet once a week and you know what your priorities are and the tickets are going to come at you and boom, boom, boom. On the other hand, you look at our RCM team, they are always talking, you know, and I don't mean that in any bad way, but like throughout the day, you'll see like some, you know, first people on in the morning, Hey, here's how it looks over the, you know, well, here's what happened overnight. Here's our plan for the day. Boom, boom, boom. And then like, Sometimes at two o'clock, hey guys, great job here. By the way, we just saw an influx of something. We got to solve that, you know, before everybody times out for the day. So every team does a little bit different. I just, yeah, but I, I agree. Like you got to be really careful with those daily standups because they start from a good place, but they never end well. And I think, anyway, I could go on about that. I just, you know, they just never worked for me. Yeah, I think it's a good, we can have that as another topic to talk about because I do think meeting structure, especially remote, and you've got a lot of experience in that. There's a lot to talk about there in terms of structure. And even from someone, I mean, I've worked three or four years now remote in different settings, whether it be zero to one startup or a little bit more mature company. And I do think at the start, some of those daily standups, they're just needed because there is copious amounts of things to talk through. But as things progress, you need more time to do the deep work and get stuff done. And sometimes those meetings can just, you know, like anything bog, yeah. bog it down. So, yeah, I guess, you know, if I were to like, not to rush it, but if I were to wrap up my summary of May and, and sort of the overall state of strata, I think what I would say is, is that, you know, in my angel investing world, I typically tell entrepreneurs that there's only two stages to every company. Will it work? And how big could it be? Which, you know, when you're investing in somebody else's company and you're not involved in it day to day, you kind of need those like juicy little sound bites because that's kind of what they can absorb at the time. But the truth is, is that it's a little bit more than that in the sense that in between will it work and how big will it be stage, in between those two stages of the company, there has to be a building stage. And that's kind of where the state of strata is today is that 2023 for us is a building year where recruiting to put the right butts in the right seats. We're building the various flywheels, whether it's content or engineering tooling or RCM processes. Like we're building all the flywheels to make things go. And we're sort of priming the engine, if you will, for what's coming down the pipe. And the thing is, is that strategically, this all started out as a bet, you know, way back at the end of Q4 of last year, when we started talking about Q1 of this year, it started out as a bet. Hey, you know, I think 2023 should be a building year. What does that mean? Let's talk about that. And we then systematically proved it with objective numbers. Like, hey, we experimented here. Anyway, the point is, is that the reason we're able to take bigger and bigger bets as we go into Q3 now is because we started with little bets in Q1. 
objectively showed that they would work. You know, again, like, hey, if we created this kind of page, would that generate more leads? Oh, that worked. Okay. Then we went to Q2 and we said, okay, well, that worked. Let's go throw a couple thousand dollars a month at each of these teams and their bets. Okay, that actually worked. There's a couple things that didn't work. We killed those off, but that actually worked generally. And now we're like tripling down on the stuff that's working. And that's sort of the game. Like it's always hard for people to understand, you know, where you're headed without that context. So anyway, state of strata is good. And um, we're picking up the pace uh, by almost every measure. And I think by the end of Q3, we'll be objectively better in every area. So it's good. Hopefully everybody's having fun on the team too. I think they are, but (laughs) maybe that's the nervous laughter there. I'll just say like, maybe they are. I hope they are. (laughs) I think they are, (laughs) but we're good. Cool. Perfect. Thanks for listening to another episode of the State of Strata. If you'd like to learn more about Strata and achieving a 99.99% reimbursement rate for your OT or PT practice, head over to stratapt.com or email us at hello at stratapt.com.